Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong, and you are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Matt Jaffe. There really isn't such a thing as precociousness in the music business. One only needs to consider that the Beatles averaged about 22 and a half years of age and were already seasoned pros in England when they played their American debut on Ed Sullivan in 1964. Enter California's Matt Jaffe. Jaffe is young, on the cusp of 22, but he's talented, motivated, and he's more than willing to put in the work necessary to make a name for himself. Jaffe started on violin at age 5 and had picked up the guitar and started to write his own songs by the time he was 10. A scant few years later, before he was finished with high school, Jaffe's repertoire featured no fewer than 50 of his own compositions, and he'd already started amassing songwriting and performing awards in his Bay Area home. After graduation, Jaffe flipped coast and started college at Yale University, but soon found that his true calling lay in music, so he dropped out after three semesters and applied his usual unstoppable focus and drive to a full-time music career. Jaffe's dedication has begun to pay off, with an EP, a full-length record, and national tours already on his resume, along with a regular band he calls The Distractions. And it all makes sense when people see the confident manner in which Jaffe and his band burn up a stage. The truest fans are earned, and Matt Jaffe and The Distractions' high-energy rock show bear shades of other acts that are revered both for their smarts and their performance savvy. The Replacements, Elvis Costello, and The Clash come to mind. So clap or get out of the way, because there is no stopping Matt Jaffe. Welcome to Independence Day, Matt Jaffe and the Distractions. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well, man. Thank you for clearing time on your schedule. You're on the road, sort of, doing a one-off down here to Los Angeles. You guys do a lot of one-offs? Uh, we play wherever people will have us. Wherever they'll know? have you. That's a good answer. Yeah. That's the proper answer to that yeah. question. Yeah. You know, uh, we, li- we like to call it the surgical strike, you know? Yeah. Um, so we'll happily come down. We've gone to Chicago to do one date. Yeah. Uh, even gone to New York to do one date. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially when you're getting started in your career, it, it's it's important, honestly. I mean, it's always important to take the gig. But, you know, when you're establishing yourself, when you're kind of building a following, when you're trying to build something from the ground up, um, the answer to almost every question is yes. You know, will yeah, you do yeah, this? Absolutely. Yes. Will you do this gig? Yes. You know, you don't have the opportunity to really say no to a lot of things. Um, not really. <laughs> not really. And I, and I will describe you, you're kind of like a high-energy, like, punky-ish poppy-ish, power pop-ish. Like if, what's your elevator pitch? Like say you're in there and David Geffen's in the elevator and he's like, son, what do you sound like? What would you say? Tell him he should have kept John Doe on his label. Of course, but then uh, after but that, after, 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 after you after berate that, him. After berating him, uh, I would say we're uh, country punk with a pop twist. Yeah. Yeah, Cal but punk, maybe. But it's, but it's California more so, because yeah. I come from Chicago originally, where the Bloodshot label is. Sure. And those people, like, it's it's a lot more uh, black t-shirts and tattoos kind of thing. Like, you guys right. have a California twist to it, I think. Yeah, I, I would say we're influenced by a lot of punk energy and urgency, but, uh, and, and I certainly identify with a punk ethos, the sort of DIY, you know, we just right. throw our stuff in our van and we come to show wherever. Yeah. Certainly identify with that. But, you know, the safety pin, leather jacket, it, that, right. I mean, not punk in that very uh, particular sense. It's I different guess. in California. 
you know, down here in LA, we've had, you know, there's a history of punk, there's X is from here, but it's a different kind of thing. I mean, it's, you know, there's the Bukowski concept, Charles Bukowski, yeah. of like, and when it's sunny all the time, it can kind of be, there's a darkness to that in a way. Totally. Right? So you can kind of go against type, but at the same time, uh, the weather's great here. Even in the Bay Area, where you guys are from Marin, just north of uh, the San Francisco area, and the weather's pretty slamming. Yeah, well, it doesn't... I mean, Paul can speak to this because he's actually from the Bronx. Uh, and I can speak to it a little because I went to school on the East Coast, but there's not that intense, like, you know... Season it's shift. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. the middle of February. You're inside sweating with your, your mates, you know, right. like, just just hammering your guitar. There's not quite that. Right, right. And when you said before, you said we, let's introduce the distractions, which is your band. You guys uh, want to do it? Or? Yeah, you can just, yeah, let, let them way. do it. They're, they're, they're sentient adults here. <laughs> well, just barely. <laughs> All right, so I'm Cole. I play drums and then distractions. Cole Bailey is Cole the name. Cole Bailey, that's my name. Of course, man. You've got you in the best hair award. You guys have got some pretty good hair, but like that's pretty, that's a good mob, Well, thank man. you. I try my best. I dig it. Uh, and then on, you play drums. Uh, yeah. And then on bass, we have... Paul Paldino. Paul Paldino, the Bronx guy. How did you wind up on the West Coast? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty lame story overall, but basically... Well, I'll be the judge of that. Tell it, and then we'll see. Matt and I, I was playing in a few bands back in New York, and um, Matt was going on this big tour opening up for Blues Traveler, and their bass player quit. I got in touch with Matt through a few degrees of separation, and essentially I uh, just, once I heard about the opportunity, I figured there was no way I wasn't going to give it a shot, and I yeah. just flew out within like two days of hearing about it, met, stayed with some strangers, and uh, been with Matt for like the last year and a half. And so you actually up you transplanted yourself. Oh, completely. For yeah. part of this. I was pretty stable back home and then I was just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Let's uh get out there and make some rock and roll. Now the thing is once you I mean that's that's the right attitude, honestly. And I'm an attitude with a capital A, like, yeah, rock and roll. <laughs> but I mean, but it's also like once you get a look at Marin County, like I don't know. If I could let I mean you guys are like the luckiest guys in the world. There's two <laughs> two the two of you guys are from here, from Sonoma, like that area, right? I actually don't know. Born and raised. Born yeah. and raised, yeah. yeah. So like if I could be, if I could live anywhere in the world, I think I would live in like Santa Rosa, California. Because it's like you're close to a big city, but it's a small city a little bit farther away. Yeah. It's Film like shadow of a doubt there. You know? Yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And if you go in and then if you get into the Bay Area itself, it's just beautiful. It is a stunningly beautiful place. Place. So once you see, like if you're from New York, because I lived in New York too, I lived mm -hmm. in 9th and 49th for a whole year, worked at Manny's Music back in yeah. the day on 48th Street. And, and like once you get a look at Marin County, it's like, man alive. You know, to quote, uh, we were quoting the Big Lebowski a bit when we were setting up. It's like, you know, once they've seen, it's hard to keep them on the farm once they've seen Carl Hungus, right? <laughs> it's hard to keep them anywhere but Marin County once they've seen Marin County. Mm -hmm. I love it there. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Anyway, this week's guest, Matt Jaffe and the Distractions. You can learn about him at Matt Jaffe Music, and that's Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E. Music, you know how to spell that. If you don't, you shouldn't be listening to this show. Check him out on the internet. He's got an EP, or I should say they. He, they, both. They works. Why they. not? <laughs> They've got a full-length album and an EP. We're going to hear a track from that record right now. It might be a changing they. It's changing day. Yeah. Well, that's a word. Yeah. Let's, well, your name's on the marquee, but exactly. you've got a, the band names like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Bruce Springsteen, and the E Street Band. You know, yeah. it's not like just Billy Joel and whatever schlubs he gets to play with him. <laughs> anyway, Matt Jaffe <laughs> and the Distractions are playing are on the show this week. Um, the new record is called California Burning, just came out, and this track is called Wander No More on Independence Day. Got myself suspicious Most 
Armstrong, so happy to come to you Wednesday nights at indepthday.com, also on the iTunes on your iPhone. I'm in your pocket. Do you guys know I'm in your pocket everywhere you go? Isn't that kind of weird? It's the funny thing about radio as a medium and podcast as an extension of that because you know, TV, you know, you're there, you're there. People can see your picture, they can see you hear you talking. But when radio is like it's more portable because you can be doing other things. So it's like in your head or in your car or in the shower. Like I always thought when I was on the radio talking to people like are you naked right now? Because you could be. I'm talking to you. I'm in the shower with you, sort of. Anyway, Matt Chaffee. <laughs> well, the distract- well, they, don't they even make little TVs you can bring in the shower? I suppose they, they do. Oh, yeah. But see, then, you know, yeah. then you got soap in your eyes. It's a whole logistical problem. No, I'm problem. not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an but idea. It is, it is it's an a, idea. It's an idea. That is most certainly true, <laughs> Mr. Jaffe. So this week's guest, Matt Jaffe and his band, The Distractions, they are a three-piece. Tell me about the ethos of a three-piece, because it's, it's an interesting thing when bands, is it is it by choice, or is it to keep things simple, or is it... Uh, because you, it's hard to find a fourth member, or is it some combination of all of those? I'd say it's a combo of all of those, yeah. Um, when, I, uh, when I first started trying to put together this band almost five or six years ago, I didn't. Uh, I sort of just figured, well, I'll just do all the guitar parts. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, we started recording and getting a little carried away with overdubs, as one does. And uh, we thought it was necessary to have another member and we went through a number of different permutations, and we found some great players, but uh, the best one moved to Atascadero and auditioned some other good players, but ultimately decided that uh, convenience and chemistry sort of yeah. supported the power trio format. It's a different, it's a very different, as a performer, 
Yeah. If you've ever if played in a band, it's an extremely different experience to play in a three piece. I mean, you think of like classic three pieces: Cream, Rush, I suppose, The Police. Uh, you know, some punky bands, uh, Green Day, sure, from up in the Bay Area. Like that's a a very very different thing because each member bears. You think of the difference between you know, say it's a four piece. There's a big difference between carrying twenty five percent of the load and carrying thirty three point three percent of the load. It doesn't seem like that much of a shift, right? Like eight points or whatever percentage wise. But thematically, when you're playing, I think it's a very, very significant difference, especially if you're whoever's singing lead, because you have to be playing an instrument pretty much at all times, right? There's not like Dave, you don't have like your David Lee Roth jumping around, right? Because <laughs> Van Halen really is a three piece with a singer. Totally, yeah. yeah. Right? Well, I, I would say uh, Paul not only. Not only encouraged the idea of doing a three-piece, you know, not really going crazy finding the perfect fourth member, right. second guitarist, but also he picks up a lot of the slack on the bass. Right. I mean, you probably caught a lot of that just in the... Yeah, people are going to hear that. We're going to hear some yeah. live songs in just a few minutes yeah. here. And I, that's the big difference. As soon as you guys loaded in, I noticed right away, um, there, the, uh, there was a, Paul, there was a, you got a pedal board. Yeah. Like a lot of bass players just kind of show up, plug into their SVT, maybe they've got a tuner. <laughs> and they're off and running, right? Like, you've got a whole thing. Like, tell me, I mean, is this something you would always do, or is this something that kind of expanded because you're a three-piece? Um, well, I've pretty much always done it. I I was a big uh, Metallica fan. Cliff Burton was a huge influence of mine, and he sort of was one of the pioneers of the whole lead bass, effect bass style. Right. And then, you know, guys like Joy Division playing in the upper registers, Peter Hook, um, uh, the Minutemen, Mike Watt was a big influence for me. A lot of uh, Klaus Fluoride from the Dead Kennedys. So a lot of busier bass players who who filled sonic space out of necessity and just for the fun of it, I think that's sort of, I combined all that and, and brought it to this band, I guess. Yeah, the, well, there's different ways. There's a different way to think about it when yeah. you're playing that and if you've got the freedom to do that. Well, right. yeah, sonically speaking. Yeah, the the record we actually recorded as a four piece. So a lot of the stuff that I've ended up working into the show live wasn't there because there wasn't a need. There was a, a need to leave Correct. space. Right. So once I needed to fill space, that's when I started to bring more of these elements in. The pedal board used was always there, but it was more just for fun. I never really used it. And to impress the chicks. Yeah, I don't think they they know enough to to get impressed by Chicks it. Chicks love bass pedal boards. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I, sh- I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I don't want to be sexist about this. I'm just. No, trying to, but you I guys are a dude band, so you're trying to impress the chicks, as opposed to the other way, or maybe dudes. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me one way or another. Um, but you, you do have a larger pedal board. Yeah, if I may use the euphemism, <laughs> than most bass players would, and you use it kind of interestingly. You do more melodic stuff. You do move up on the neck and play some melodic stuff. Yeah. Do you think about? You must plan ahead for those um, kinds of things when you've got that yeah. many pedals. Not like you're just kicking a fuzz on and making racket. Like it, you're it, parts, it starts right? out that way, like just kicking something on. Like uh, the way we end "Fire on the Freeway" at a live gig now just started by me deciding to do it one day and now it's become like a staple yeah. of the uh the end of the set so yeah i think you just experiment if it sticks you keep with it refine it yeah. but uh yeah i try not to plan too much ahead because then yeah. i i can just get into a world of trouble that way yeah and cole how about you like if, as far as playing in a three-piece like is it you're relatively new to this organization right yeah this is my first show tonight with them ah, I'm we're, we're a non-profit actually <laughs> 501c3 well, can still be an organization <laughs> yeah, org exactly, is dot organization exactly, exactly, yeah. uh so now does it change for you playing in a three-piece because you've got more space like empty space around you as well sonically speaking yeah um being a drummer in a three-piece is hard because you have to really fill up the sound with toms and 
just have a more powerful attack and I mean I dig I dig the three piece. I mean it's just more of a collective sound in a three piece I think than a big band. The sound kind of gets lost. I I feel in a big band. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. It well it's every situation is different, right? You get into like a big band situation. You just have to find your moments more. And I mean literally a big band like with horns and mm. brass. It's really right? a whole different whole different experience. Yeah. Yeah, and that, which brings me back around to you, Matt. Like, this is a big responsibility because in this band, you're also the singer. So, uh, from my, myself, I'm playing in a three piece, three piece these days as uh-huh. well. I'm doing the same exact thing you're doing in my situation. So it's like, I always there's that hiccup moment where I switch from like I notice like uh, you're not playing a ton of solos in the arrangement because it's kind of hard to do uh, in a three piece. But there's that moment where you switch from like playing rhythm behind your singing, and then you've got to come up with some decent lick, like right <laughs> yeah, off the top yeah, of your head totally. right away. Is that? Do well, you, how do you manage all this? I, you know, a lot of my leads are planned. If if people think I'm a good lead guitar player, which is occasionally, um, <laughs> they they don't know that anything I do. The only reason it seems spontaneous because right. is because I'm still playing something I know pretty poorly. Right. Like, oh, that must be, you know, off the cuff. He's not nailing that. But it sounds kind of cool. And I'm well, it's like, no, it's not off the cuff. I'm just not very good. Um, <laughs> but see, but that's the thing though. Like, good is relative though. Right? Because there's good there's good and then there's good for the style, good for the music. And when it's your music, you can write around yeah. your what you, your well, own perceived inadequacies. Well, well Paul said it. I, I I'm pretty sure you said this, but you know, someone was asking us about other guitar players and he said something that like I'm a really good guitar player for this band. And I would agree with that, if I yeah. may. I, I don't think I'm fantastic but i think i play like i want to hear it right well you don't need to be you're creating yeah. you know this is that's the thing about being a songwriter as opposed to playing like in a cover band like a wedding band right when you're playing in a cover band you've got to be all things to all people totally. like one moment you're playing the b52s and the next moment you're playing hendrix and the next moment you're probably be hell of a wedding band the next moment you're playing <laughs> yeah. uh cool, you know, cool i don't know couple. the buzzcocks <laughs> or whatever right sure. Sure. So, it, but it's a very different thing. Like you're you're allowed to create this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about like your ethos. Or that word keeps coming again in terms of like keeping things live and keeping things real. But first, I want you guys to play a song. What is this first song that you guys are going to play? What is this one? Uh, this one's called "Love Is Just a Drug." And is this uh, is on the record, the full length record? Yeah, it's the, the lead off track. In fact. Ooh, yeah. Okay, yeah. it's a good way to lead off this then. All right. So this is Matt Jaffe and the Distractions. The song is "Love Is Just a Drug." One. Two, one, two, three. I got you in a daydream, baby. I got you on my mind. I got you in my bloodstream, baby. I got you all the time. I got you on speed dial, baby. I got you on the phone. I got you on mobile, baby. I got you at home. I need you, I need you nightly and every single day. I hold you and I hold you tightly so you can't slip away. Love is just a drug. Can't get enough. Drop. Can't get enough of loving you. 
I got you in a shot I got you something awful, baby Yeah, I'll tell you what I got I got you in a reefer, baby I got you in a smoke I know you're a keeper, baby But I know that I won't I need you, I need you nightly And every single day I hold you and I hold you tightly So you can't slip away Love is just a drug Can't get enough of loving you Love is just a drug Can't get enough of loving you Gentlemen, Matt and Cole and Paul, that ruled. Thank you very much. Thanks. Sounds good, man. I love it. I love it when bands are a band and they turn it up and kind of go for it, right? Uh, I love. It's funny too because my my girlfriend, she, her taste in music is much more aggressive than mine. But there's certainly a range in all of the things that we do. I mean, there are times when man, I just it's got to be loud and it's got to be fast, and there are times when it's got to be quiet. So now, what is it in you personally, Matt? To, that makes you write this style of music? What attracts you to this style of music? Um, I think I'm a pretty mild-mannered guy, and uh, playing fast rock and roll is kind of, it's kind of like that Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. You know, it's like putting on the mask, and you get to let out all these demons and goofy things. You get your yayas out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just this release that other types of music don't provide for me. Yeah, um, you, I I, I think ahead, of music is sort of exercise. You know, I I put on you know X or the Clash when I'm on the treadmill, and I I don't you know I don't see running and playing a show as being very different activities. Yeah. Really, you know what's funny, man? Can I tell a funny story about the treadmill? Please, yeah. Growing up in Chicago, uh, I got really into running in my uh, my twenties, and I was running marathons. So, I, but I so I had to keep my training up 
through the wintertime. And it's cold, yeah. and I suppose you can run outside, but man, that sucks. Right? <laughs> so I got a gym membership. No big deal. So I'm on the treadmill. And I was like, okay, early on, I'm going to bring my, back then, I hate to say it was a disc man. Wasn't even an iPod, right? <laughs> so I got my disc man, I got my headphones. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put some music on while I run because running on a treadmill is kind of lame. You're kind of stuck there. Right? I feel like a hamster, but I'm gonna run on this. I'm gonna do it. So I bring in like my what I think is my most up tempo music. I'm like, okay, Blood Sugar Sex Magic by uh, Chili Peppers. So I get in there and I'm running, and I'm expecting it to like really be this really entertaining. It's definitely powerful, but instead of like up tempo, it's like wow, 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 and like okay next song and it's like which is a little bit fast but it's like it wasn't as fast as I thought it was going to be okay okay so I'll put in Back in Black that's that's rock and roll right like that's going to be up tempo and then here it clicks off Back in Black and it's the same thing it's click 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 also not fast I'm like well I learned I don't have any up tempo music whatsoever in my collection you saw what I did I went the other way and I played Cowboy Junkies. So it's like, here I am, like, whoop, you know, kicking it on this treadmill. And then it's like, Sweet Jane's playing. Uh-huh. You know, so <laughs> I just kind of went against type. So it's probably a crappy story, but it's, it no, makes no, sense no. to me. That, that does make Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reason I love like X is because you put on like Los Angeles or Wild Gift and like one song is faster than the last, you know? Yeah. So you can do that. But you're absolutely right. You need to find a. I mean, that's something I've been trying to figure out in my own songwriting is how to find power in something that's sort of mid-tempo. You know, it doesn't need to be 200 BPM every time. Yeah. Well, you go back to the masters of our craft, like the, the Titans, like the Zeppelins and the, you know, the, the Claptons and the Hendrixes of the, of the world, and literally Clapton and Hendrix and Zeppelin. Yeah, and yeah. you listen to what they did, <laughs> and like, we, we've got it all. It's all there to look at, right? You know, they like, they... they you know, their rock was hewn out of the, you know, out of blues and fuzz pedals and just turning it up. But they're not always, like, look at Zeppelin. Like, they were came in hard and strong and powerful, but then by Zepp 3 or so, like, or what is, or, you know, what should never be. Like, they've backed off and there's acoustic instruments and they're playing. Totally. And then by 4, they're playing Going to California with mandolins. You know, so music can be all these things. Yeah, well, I, I mean... Not that it matters that much, but uh, I do a lot of more acoustic stuff. I, I, in terms of like what I really love doing in front of people, this is what I love. And, yeah. And uh, and you know, having a rhythm section keeps you honest, doesn't let you get too sappy because you don't come to your drummer and bass player with you know your little sit on yeah. the edge of the bed at midnight ballads. Yeah. Uh, but I've got plenty of those. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, I saw Towns Van Zandt out there. You know, I. Yeah. I'm head over heels for that kind of stuff too. And that's the, another benefit of being like in the age that we are now is that we have all of that to look at and all of that to draw from. Like I, I like to say sometimes we live in like a mashup world. Like everything, everybody's influence, every bit of every little thing you've ever heard is kind of mixed in there. You know, once upon a time, it was like kids sitting around in the bedroom with their records. Like some kid brought in um, like a Sex Pistols record and everyone like kind of gathered around it, you know, and like, ah, the, or the Beatles even. Like, you know, somebody would get the record and they would all sit around the record player and listen to that. It's very different now than it was then. It's all in your pocket. Uh-huh. You, know, you want to hear any song anytime, you pull up YouTube and there it is. You know, how do you, how, here's another question for like you guys are younger. How do you filter out when there's so much information? How do you decide what's important? Did I stymie uh, you? Or is no, that, that easy? To- <laughs> no, I mean, I'm really not a, a Pandora or Spotify or SoundCloud type person. I, uh, 
I think I think it's really a tremendous shame that everything is so accessible all the time. I think yeah. it takes you know now a new record is like a new pair of shoes. It's not this. You know, you don't go to the record store. I'd saying, say it's even more disposable than that. You keep oh, totally. shoes and you wear yeah, those shoes right. for a year. You can't download shoes. It's like a cup of coffee. Yeah. Like, you know, a band works, sweats, and toils for years or more sometimes to make a record, and then they download it for five bucks, and mm-hmm. it's off. That's it. But I eventually think vinyl will have a comeback because uh, there have been a recent surgence in sales, and um, it just has a better feel than downloading music and... I feel like people have rediscover that over time. Speak to me more about that because I have a theory that people, both young people and even older people who have like the kind of digital revolution kind of rose up and it kind of it's still here very much everybody's downloading and streaming everything. But I think people are longing for a more tangible experience. Yeah, I think uh I think that the more this automated mechanized world and then, of course, that extends well beyond music. The more that cements is sort of this horrible hegemon, uh, the more a counter countercultural splinter group will sort of crystallize. And yeah. I, I see that already. You know, we've talked a lot about DIY, and I think uh, you know, Paul and I talk about these sort of waves of music. How once something becomes too corporate, too formulaic, the underground. You know the subversive current is—it's gotta come back up. Yeah, uh, I, I think the difference now is that the music world is so fragmented. It's such a mosaic of these subgenres and niche music groups that it's hard to imagine a Clash or a Nirvana or a Green Day really rising to that level again. But I do think there's a lot of potential for a very strong, very interconnected underground community that rejects the digital world as being the be all end all yeah well the answer to the question i always ask well is is streaming or is the new ways of sharing music is is that good or bad and the answer is it's yes it's both good and bad yeah because now there's a a trillion choices but yet you can also find that niche band like some some kid in his basement in suburban chicago can hear of matt jaffe and the distractions and be like yeah that's the band i want to listen to when you come to town like you can build that from the ground up but it just takes more effort and you know another story i used to tell like when i was playing bars at once upon a time we were competing with television sets because there were television sets around the bar where we would play. So it's like, you know, something would come on, everybody we could tell would be staring at the TV. It's like, okay. You know, <laughs> and we would do like you guys would do. We'd turn it up, do everything we could do to keep and to get and keep their attention. But now, again, the rest of the entire width and breadth of the human experience is in your pocket. So now you're competing with everything ever at all times. I think it becomes more of a problem of getting them to the bar in the first place yeah. these days because there's so many ways for them to do what they feel is like an equivalent experience that right. like, you know, seeing the band, a live video on YouTube replaces going to see them at a show and they feel people as a whole, uh, I'm totally generalizing, but I think they feel less of a need to get out there and, and see live music to really experience it. Yeah. And I hope my theory from before, I agree with you. I hope my theory from before was right. Is that people are going to long for something, some kind of connection. I think that's woven too deeply into the human experience. At least I like to think of it before we get to like the matrix point where we're all disconnected <laughs> and nobody's doing anything, talk to each other ever. 
Anyway, my guest this week, Matt Jaffe, his band, The Distractions. A little bit of a tip of the hat to Elvis Costello and The Attractions, because you did some work with, um, who produced the record or produced uh, something? Jerry Harrison from, the, from, from Talking, Talking Heads. Heads did the first record I did. So I want to hear yeah. more about that, and we never did get to talk about like keeping it real. Let's hear another live song. We'll come back, we'll talk Sounds about those good. two things. What's this next one, Matt? This next one is called The Hellhounds of Alcatraz. Give me a little bit of background on this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you have a Vishla here, because... You know, I I have a lot of like fake reasons why I wrote this song, but the real reason is very simple. I like dogs and wanted to write a dog song. You can look at the record cover. There it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to tell people that it's our California Bay Area version of Werewolves of London, but that, okay. that's kind of retconning, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I like that though. It's referencing the past. I mean, I I think it's good when younger artists like they know their history, right? Or know the rules. Like, I fully encourage breaking of the rules, and I fully encourage making something new, whatever that is, whatever that means to your generation. But it's, it's, there's a connection there, though. Like, we're all still musicians. We're all speaking the same language, right? And, like, you referencing X, or you referencing uh, the Minutemen a little while ago, right? You know, there's a lineage to what you do. And, like, you realizing that you're part of that, you know, makes us, the older generation, make, <laughs> make, want you to be part of the same family. Is what I'm saying. So, but so it's, it's a dog reference. Dogs, yeah. Dog. I, when yeah, I, you I, know, Dorothy June, my research assistant. <laughs> uh, dogs are the best thing ever that I could find. Uh, getting a dog is one of the best things I ever did. Sounds about right. Dog, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So Matt Jaffe and the distractions. The name of his dog. You want to oh, say? Yeah, oh yeah, my, please tell me. Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, Jimmy Hendricks. Very nice. Classic. For short, just call him Jimmy. Yeah, usually. But, uh, you know, we try to work the Hendricks in when we can. The wind. Yeah. So people don't forget. The wind cries terrier. <laughs> oh, man. All right. You bad, 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 bad pun. Okay, so this is Matt Jaffe and his band, The Distractions. The song is The Hounds of Alcatraz. <laughs> on your tail They'll follow you through North Beach and way down to Mexico You're never out of their reach and it don't matter where you go Down the Embarcadero They are following their prey The strait is getting narrow between you and Judgment Day A dog in all your steps And the mission bells are ringing Out upon the open sea And the angels are singing But they'll never set you free Oh, a storm is a-coming Like doomsday coming down A tremor through the ground They're raging up from under Following no coming law Like wicked bolts of thunder With 
Relieve you of your sin Armstrong, thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. I've been working on the show a very long time. Happy to bring you some really, really great artists from around the country and around the world. This week's guests are from the Bay Area, Marin County specifically, which if you don't know is San Francisco area. Marin, so beautiful. Man, you guys are so lucky. Like you walk out every day and you see like giant redwood trees and you're like <laughs> Mill Valley, right? I do, yeah. Like the heart of that stuff right there. And such musical heritage there as well. Absolutely, yeah. You've got uh, Metallica from up in Nevada. You've got tons. Not, of, not anymore. I think uh, they moved I somewhere think else. James, James has decided yeah. Marin is a little too uppity, so he moved to Vale. <laughs> not uppity at all. Well, but they're from Nevada, I guess is what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying. I mean, once you get to a certain level, you live wherever you live. Like the question is, you know, where does James Hetfield live? And the answer is wherever James Hetfield wants to live. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But then there's like there's uh, like uh, Jerry Garcia used to live right where Pretty Corte Madera, right up the little wash there. Uh, Janis Joplin used to live in the area. So much musical yeah. history there. Sweetwater Tavern. Yeah sort of our uh, our home court yeah very very nice so thank you guys for coming on the show i appreciate it so us. very yeah. very much and excellent music by the way i hope thank people you. are digging this people should drop by matt jaffe music j-a-f-f-e music.com and i think you're on the twitter as well you're on matt jaffe music on twitter as well yep <laughs> okay so let's talk about like, we I, we've been kind of hinting at this like this concept of like keeping it real yo right so what does that mean to you uh, oh man now, now I'm really stymied. Yeah. Uh, uh, keeping it real, I don't know. You know, I, I think uh, I, I think just uh, making sure I'm writing the songs I want to write. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that sounds like a very obvious answer, but you know, I, I just I just listen to what I want to listen to. You know, I yeah. I don't, uh, and I, I really I try to listen to what people I trust tell me to listen to. Yeah. And uh, go off of that i i find a lot of contemporary music to be very off-putting and 
I don't know. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of stuff we could do that's very obvious to, uh, to dramatically increase our commercial appeal. Uh, and it's stuff that I don't think we can do. It's like if I was just doing something to be successful, I'd have been an accountant. You know, right. I'm doing this because it's what I want to do. I'm yeah. not. I'm, I'm totally willing to make compromises. I think. Right. I think uh, flexibility is a virtue, not a weakness. Uh, but keeping it real is saying that you know we have to be true to whatever our artistic impulses. Yeah. In terms of live performance, though, because this is something that was mentioned. Like I think it's in your bio somewhere about. Uh, you know, there's like, there's no backing tracks or there's no drum machines or there's no this or that. Like, so this is, it's, it's just that word again, that ethos, that, that thing. It's just, it's important to you. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, you know, I've said this stuff to people because in the 21st century, it's like, it's sort of a rarity for a young band. Uh, but uh, to me, it, it was never a question. It's like, you go watch a talking headset or... Like, except maybe Psycho Killer on Stop Making Sense, where right. it's literally a drum machine. But, uh, uh, you know, it's like you just, you're a band, you plug in and play. Yeah. To me, it's not rocket science. It's quite well, the opposite. Technology is a funny word because I think people tend to associate it now with specifically with computers, but technology can also be mechanical technology. Sure. It can be right? a canoe. Like, in it, or, like a, what's, I'm sorry, what would you say? It could be a canoe. It could, sorry. It could be a canoe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at one point, you know, like the wheel was a huge, like, leap forward technological development did, yeah. right and uh you know like the electric guitar i remember maybe yeah, 15 or so years ago gibson was experimenting with using an ethernet cable for a guitar cord mm -hmm. and other than not being sexy at all it just doesn't look that's not cool like a, you know they don't have to they have to be bright yellow but i'm imagining like the bright yellow dopey looking ethernet right, cord right. sticking out of your guitar but like what a horror I mean, first of all like the, i mean i can't even get those things to work sitting still like imagine jumping around trying to keep an Ethernet cable functioning, <laughs> right? We all we all try to move forward, like, but we've been using the same essential tools to make our music now since the late '60s, really. I mean, what was the last big thing? Digital nonlinear I, recording. I'd go technology. even earlier for me personally. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I have I have a board, but it's just for kicks, really. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sort of a Fender through Fender type, and yeah. what do you need beyond '52 for that, really? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, others. There's a couple things that that lend credence to, it. like the, the fuzz pedal, for example, sure, the '60s sure. development, the wah wah pedal, tremolo, which goes back to the '50s. Um, but these are not, you know, these are like the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Of you know our tools of our trade. Yeah, I mean, I I personally come at songwriting, and I, I say personally with emphasis because I, this is not meant to be how people should do it. It's just how I do it. Uh, I. When I write a song, I try to make it convincing with just a guitar and a voice. Yeah, I, I think these guys are an electric guitar. Of course, that can add it. It should make the song. You know, I play with them because it does make the song better. It makes it way better. But I do think that the songs I write, I want to be able to sit in a room with someone and say, "Well, here's the song. I, I hope I can convince you it's a good one just with my acoustic guitar yeah. and a voice." To that end, I mean, we have more options than ever before to dress up these things. And you can do more than ever before at home. Like, you can do in a laptop. Like, there's the whole metaphor, right? You know, uh, an iPhone has orders of magnitude more processing power than the computers that they took to the moon in 1969 and, you know, through the early 70s. And, or to put it another way, uh, Sgt. Pepper was done on a four track, right? But they had George Martin and the Beatles 
and Neumann microphones and you know top-notch gear with that four track. But it's technology. This is see, this is an interesting thing, especially for your generation. You guys are internet natives. It was always there for you, right? Like how old mm-hmm. were you when you got your first email address? Do you guys remember? I was like four years old. Yeah. Oh my god. I was. I started early. Yeah. How about the rest of you guys? I was ten ish. Yeah. Well, uh, not really an email address, but that's what I was the, getting What's online. like seventh grade? Is it twelve? Twelve? Yeah. yeah, like twelve or something. So you lived in a world like you were submitting homework digitally, pretty much all the way along. Pretty much. Uh, I mean, personally, I probably didn't start submitting digitally until like college. Everybody wanted we, hard copies of everything. We span a almost a decade, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because like for me, and I'm dating myself, but I'm just going to tip my hat. Like I never even sent an email until after I'd finished college. Like I had an email address. I was a studio manager at my college's recording studio, but back then, like they only had green screen computers, and there were only five other people with email addresses, and I saw them every single day anyway. So it made much more sense to just go like, "Hey, Adam, I'm going to do the (laughs) session at ten o'clock. Can you do the session at two o'clock? Done." Like. Sending an email back then, it's like I might send him an email. Then I'd have to actually call him and say, "Hey, will you check your email?" You know, right? Yeah, it's a very different thing. You know, so now you talk about performing without tracks, etc. But like when you go to re- in the recording studio, how far do you take that? Do you record on tape? Most people don't. If you do use Pro Tools or Logic or one of the nonlinear programs, like how, like how do you know when to not touch something? Keeping it real, for example. Well, this actually was recorded on tape, okay. as, as it turns out. Okay. Uh, most of it. That you know, to be honest, that was a bit more of an exercise. Yeah. I, I do like how it sounds, but I didn't choose to do it on tape. We didn't choose to do it on tape specifically for the sound. I I think it was more about an attitude. Right. Uh, and it is the exact attitude you're saying. You know, it's like, well, if that was a if that t- take felt like it was rocking and it still feels like it's rocking tomorrow morning, that works. Yeah. It's not about, uh, you know, it's not about dressing up every little gaff. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we did some overdubs. Plenty of the songs were dumped into Pro Tools for right. because it was an eight track and we needed some more space. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, we took it pretty much that far, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and I, the reason I bring this up is that now that we have. You know, I myself, this show is recorded on Pro Tools, right? It's, it's all digitally edited. You know, all the videos, digital, everything's edited. It allows us as DIY people to do, to empower us to do so many more things we couldn't have done even five years ago, 10 years ago, out of the question, totally. you know? Um, you know, those days of big, giant budgets for albums are long gone. So we do this kind of on our own. But you guys, which brings me, you know, kind of to the concept of working with Jerry Harrison. Right. He's, did he act as a producer for yeah, yeah. for the record? Okay. He did. So tell me how that relationship started because there aren't a ton of young bands who get to work with someone from the Talking Heads. Yeah. Uh, well, Talking Heads were one of the first bands I got really obsessed with, and in fifth grade, I I actually had to do a, a project on something I felt really passionately about. So I picked the Talking Heads, and uh, I saw him one day in downtown Mill Valley, and. It's like, oh my God, that's the guy from Stop Making Sense. And uh, I followed him to a hardware store. I, I told my dad, oh, you got to follow that car. And he didn't call the police? No, I, I, it'll come someday. I don't okay. know. Hasn't yet. For a different uh, reason entirely. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. um, and I asked if I could interview him for this project. And he said yes. And uh, we became friends. We saw each other around town. And uh, 
Eventually, he started seeing me at open mics, and a few years into our friendship, he offered to produce me. And at this time, I was just acoustic singer-songwriter, and uh, he actually took me down here to record with uh, Nathan East and Steve Ferroni. Um, and uh, I didn't really know who those guys were, and that was a good thing, because I was... Here's the thing, not exactly household names, but in the music business... Those names draw a lot of yeah, water. These are guys who played in yeah. Clapton's band for a very long time. Ferroni now has been playing with Tom Petty for a couple yeah. decades, I think, yep. almost. Uh, so good for you, man. Yeah, well, you know, I I was like 15, 14 or 15, and I it was such a steep learning curve. I, I think some of the tracks came out great, but it was such a such a crash excuse me, crash course in yeah. studio performance, behavior, etiquette. Right. That uh it's sort of like, that was almost just boot camp, you know? Yeah. And then I could move on to actually doing it. And by that time, I had a band of peers. and. Well, I got to say, like, having thing. boot camp with Steve Ferroni and Nathan East is yeah, like, it's, it's, worst, like, it's right? like having boot camp with, like, SEAL Team 6. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not that just some schlub <laughs> private from, from, um, from Ottumwa, yeah. Iowa. We tried to get Billy Joel's band, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, they were, they were booked. <laughs> they were Plus, booked. they're on the East Coast. Flying yeah. them all out is going to be expensive. <laughs> Uh, talk to me just a little bit more, you know, these one-off dates, because you, you guys are doing a lot of these kinds of things. Like, have you set up longer tours at this point in your career? We uh, we opened for Blues Traveler for two months. Um, we've done a number of one- to two-week outings. Were you in the Prius for the Blues Traveler thing, or no, were you in a we van? No, we or? had a van for that. Okay. We, uh, yeah. <laughs> Prius is cool, though, you know. It, it makes it all more financially viable. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, we've done... A couple other runs that are a couple weeks long. Um, you know, at this point, I think I think it actually does tie back into a lot of people not thinking of going to see their favorite band as like... Like, when I fall for a band, I, I go straight to their website, find their tour dates. If I get to go see them live, that's like the consummation of the marriage, yeah. right? That's like, it's like, you know, oh man, I really love this band. I'm going there and I'm getting a t-shirt. But I think for a lot of people, that's not really what it is. It's like, well, I follow them on all the socials. I watch their video when it comes out every week. That's, that's following a band, right? Yeah. So I think in that sense, it makes so much more sense for us uh, career-wise, but also, you know, at some level, it all comes back to resources uh, you right. know, financially just to go out and do what I called earlier, these surgical strikes. Yeah. You know, it's like we've got friends in L.A. or Chicago who have a date, and they know they're going to have a crowd there. Right. And, we'll, of course, we'll go do that. We're, you know, we're not super worried about always making great, uh, you know, not great bang for buck. But, uh, right. you know, we're willing to do that. We just recognize that slogging it out night after night, like, you know, you mentioned Tom Petty. That's what they did. They... You know, they'd rolled up and said, are we famous in Tulsa yet? No? Okay, let, we'll play Correct. this dive. Come back the next year, slog it out. I, you know, maybe I'm just saying this to to sort of alleviate any anxiety that we should be doing this, but I don't really think that model would work for us. I think we'd get very discouraged very quickly, yeah. despite loving playing, you know, whether well, it's you're, for... It sounds to me like your 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 hearts and your heads are in the right place, which is to earn it. And I mean, earn it with a capital E. You're willing to put in the work. Because that's something like people all the time, it's all over Facebook, like, oh, these kids, you know, ah, they're protesting and they're, they're just complaining and they're just, the whole snowflake concept. You know, and what I, what I, I see something very, very different. I mean, I see young people all the time working their asses off. 
And I see them willing to risk things that are important to them. I see they see the world in a different way. You know, I see them snowflakes shaped like a finger. You know, <laughs> hey man, you know, it is the job. My, my best friend and I have said for years, it is the job of the next generation to piss off the previous generation. And if you don't, you're not doing it right. You know, doesn't mean you have to do it on purpose just to be a jerk. <laughs> but, but you have to define yourself. You have to define your generation and like be whoever it is that you are. And again, that ties into what I said before. You know, maybe it sounds contradictory, like knowing the history of it. But like knowing the whole thing and being willing to work for your part of that pie, it's a very, very important thing. So kudos to you guys for doing this and nice. for earning it the right way. The door's always open, man. If you guys need a place to crash in LA, let me know. We'll put you up. This is a, this for musicians. This is a very musician-centric house. Tom Petty looks down on everything we do, as does John Coltrane right there. Thank you. I, I, I like Petty. He might... He, he might not. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait. If that's you still don't up. like he Tom might. Petty? <laughs> no, man. I'm uh, not quite as big a fan as as Matt is. Man, I uh, always came from. I like my rock and roll a lot more abrasive than Tom Petty was, and also it doesn't help that my introduction to Tom Petty was things like "Won't Back Down" instead of things yeah. like "American Girl" and uh, "Listen to Her Heart," which I actually I like those songs a lot. So there's yeah. you know I'm not like over everything he does, but uh, so you're not as a anti Tom Petty. No. Okay, because I really would hate to have to smash that globe over your head. <laughs> Don't blaspheme in this house. I'm, of course, kidding. You're smash allowed... his base. Why smash you're your not, nice globe? You're not allowed. You're, you're, you're allowed to not like Tom Petty if you don't like Tom Petty. <laughs> you know, I, I always thought that there's kind of an East Coast, West Coast thing. Like, the East Coast people are more Springsteen. And the West Coast <laughs> oh, people... Oh, man, that no, could, you'd take Petty over And the West Coast people... Day. See, that's, see, that's, see, I got you there. <laughs> the West Coast thing, because they're kind of different versions of the same concept. They kind of came out in roughly the same time. Springsteen mm-hmm. was a little ahead of the curve in terms of that. But they but they approach like this like arena rock thing very very differently, like even though even though Petty's from Florida, most of those guys are from Florida. They spent they made most of their hay in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and are associated with that kind of breezy California kind of thing. Um, but I always felt like that's that kind of balances out the country, right? Those two different icons of rock and roll. But you don't like Springsteen? Look at you, Mister New York man. Yeah, I don't know, man. It was sure. uh, it was punk rock straight away for me, like eighties hardcore era. Okay, trick question for you, and then the last song. What is the biggest, most popular band that you are willing to admit that you like? Uh, We're talking to Paul here, by the probably way. Probably Queens of the Stone Age uh, is the like thinking thinking of popular. They're certainly the most popular band I can think of that I'm okay. into right now. What about like more like older school because they're relatively oh, new. I mean, you know, I'm a big uh, like the, the uh, Hendrix, okay. Mountain. Um, pretty much any. Well, I guess they weren't. That wasn't mainstream. The hardcore scene. Uh, Oh, Tears for Fears. There ah, you go. See, there I'm we a are. Now huge we're, Tears now we're for getting Fears somewhere. fans. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say T-Rex is a good T-Rex, example. Yeah. Yeah. T-Rex, yeah. Love T-Rex. Tears for Fears, I guess, is more what I was getting at. Because yeah, that's like, a band. Pop. I think they're excellent. They're, they're, they're excellent. Most, you know. One of the most underrated pop bands of the 1980s. Yeah. I think so. In some circles, they're huge. They're like, like them and Crowded House. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys, like they're, they were doing something interesting other people weren't doing. There's a reason they're still out there doing it. Yeah. Anyway, one more song, gentlemen. What is this last song? Well, it's probably appropriate because I th- I think this is kind of our most Tom Petty song right now. It, this is called "Something in Your Eyes." Okay. And, uh, I I swear, after we started playing this about a month ago, or maybe two two months ago in concerts, people would come up and say, "Oh, you you must listen to Tom Petty, don't you?" And I'm pretty sure it's the addition of this song to the set list. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> so for with to torture their bass player, <laughs> this is Matt Jaffe and the distractions. The song is "Something in Your Eyes." I 
Oh, 
very Tom Petty-esque, as we talked about before <laughs> that. This is Matt Jaffe and the Distractions. Man, you guys, it's been so much fun talking to you guys. I love hearing what you guys are up to. I love hearing that there are bands out there like willing to put in the time, put in the effort, and earn fans the old-fashioned way by actually getting in front of them, turning up your amps, and like rocking their faces, man. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Thank you for having us here today. Thank it's, you for the, making it a, a double header for us. Of course. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank yeah, you so yeah. much. The pleasure is mine. Like I said, the door is always open. If you guys Thank need you. a safe place to crash when you're in Los Angeles, this is a very musician-friendly house here at Independence Day World Headquarters in beautiful Eagle Rock adjacent California. If you want to visit this band on the internet, you can check them out at Matt Jaffe Music, J-A-F-F-E Music.com. Also, Matt Jaffe Music on Twitter. And then uh, what's next after this real quick? you got a show in Viper Room, the Viper Room here in L.A. tonight, and you're headed back north after that. When's the next thing? you got some shows coming up, uh, right? Yeah, we got a bunch of Bay Area dates percolating, and uh, we're putting a lot of energy into getting this album uh, known. You know, I always think of releasing stuff digitally as being sort of tossing it into this gunny sack of oblivion. And, and that's cool, but it'd be nice if some people listened as well. So, uh, yeah, you know, we're hawking that. And uh, we're uh, always looking... I mean, we've been talking about touring, and I've, yeah. I've been sort of praising the idea of these more We Jam Econo-type tours. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, but, but we'd really love to do another national thing, maybe an international thing. Yeah. I think... Uh, even though we can't count on making it just because we're out there, I think we are the kind of band that our lifeblood is just getting yeah. out there and playing. You know, maybe some nights it's for a couple hundred people, maybe some nights it's for the bartender and a couple of drunkards, but that's cool. You know, that's that's the beauty of playing rock and roll that I've found is that, you know, I just love playing it. If there are people there yeah. to enjoy it with me, that's even better. All the better. But with a good band who's who has, you know, the right spirit and energy behind it, you don't even need people there with you. Yeah, definitely. And you're doing it with your friends, which is another yeah, good uh, another good way to go about it. Because that's that's the, like the band of brothers concept, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Like I never really wanted to be in the military, especially, but I still I think we value that kind of shared struggle, share the burden. And that record you were just talking about, California's Burning, just came out, and people can find. Is this gonna be on Amazon, places like that? Yeah, yeah. It'll be. Uh, it's on iTunes. It is on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. Uh, Craigslist. I'm, you know, there's a personal get Matt Jaffe to come deliver it to your house thing. No, yeah, that that's, doesn't exist. Well, well maybe might it be should. Good. Might be good. All right, know. boys. Well, thank you again so very much for coming out. Good luck with thank everything. You. Please stay in touch. Let me know the next time you're in town. I'll come out and catch a show if Great. I possibly can. Talking this week, Matt Jaffe, Paul Paldino, Cole Bailey are Matt Jaffe and the distractions collectively. So thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it so thank much. You. Thank, thank you. you. So thanks to Matt Jaffe and the Distractions. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The rambunctious Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be sure to check them out for Independence Day. As always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.